Are you in search of a closer relationship with Jesus Christ and a better understanding of the basic truths of Christian faith? If so, please join us for Simple Secrets of the Kingdom, a series of Bible studies developed by Rev. James Otterness and taught by Skip Hedgepeth, board member of Good News Ministries and Bible teacher at Christ Church in Midland, Texas. Hi, I'm Skip Hedgepeth, and welcome to Simple Secrets of the Kingdom. If I were going to start a religious movement, I know one way I wouldn't do it would be by going out and telling people, come follow me. Uh, you're going to uh, get a lot of suffering. You're going to have to give up the things that you hold near and dear to your life right now. And, uh, and people are going to mock you and ridicule you and persecute you. So come on and join up. Uh, that's, I don't think you'd get very many followers if you did that. But... One of the things that Jesus did uh, when, he was, when the new church was beginning is he shot straight with them and he let them know, come follow me and you will, uh, you will receive future glory, but until that time, there will be suffering. And today we're going to talk about what is God's plan for Christians in the middle of suffering. I know if you're like me, you have seen people who are, are good Christian folks who seem to go through horrible kinds of ordeals and trials in their lives, in marriages and sicknesses and business failures. And, uh, <clears throat> and I know that I have questions that time, Lord, what is going on? Today, we're going to learn in this study in Romans chapter eight, what God's plan for us is in the middle of suffering. And so uh, we're gonna get uh, hopefully some really good insight and truth for you today. And before we do that, as always, let's go and ask the Lord's blessing over what we're going to do in this study today. So Father, be with us today, please, as we study. And we thank you that even though we suffer, we never suffer alone because you are with us always, even to the close of the age. And so Lord, today, as we study your word, uh, open our hearts and minds to your truth and guide us into it, please. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start in Romans 8, in verse 18. And this is going to be another one of those studies where we go through Romans 8, this last part of Romans 8, pretty much a verse or two at a time. So have your Bibles ready and follow along, and, uh, and we'll get started now. I consider that the sufferings of this time present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so he starts out giving us a word of hope right in the beginning. He doesn't deny our suffering, does he? Because he acknowledges it. He says this, uh, our present suffering, uh, so he acknowledges it in that way, but he says it's not even worth comparing to the future glory that is coming. And uh, and will be revealed to us. And so uh, there's no comparison to what God has waiting for us. Uh, what we're going to experience in heaven is so far greater than any kind of suffering that we could go through in this world that, uh, that when we're there, the goodness of heaven will far overpower even any memories of the suffering that you experience in this life. There's no comparison at all. I remember this famous evangelist, I believe it was Billy Sunday. He said, uh, when talking about the cross uh, on Good Friday, he said, it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. 
It may be, you may be in suffering today like Jesus was on that Friday. But remember what happened on Sunday. God overcame the grave for Jesus. It may be a day of suffering in your life, but God has a future hope of glory for you today that will overpower anything that you could experience today in your life in terms of suffering. And so that's his promise and his hope for you. Let's see what he has to say next. And we'll look at Romans 8, 19 and 21. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who sub subjected it in hope. What he starts out by saying, he starts out in talking about suffering, but he talks about it in creation. Not so much in the people of God, but in creation itself, in the world. And he says that the creation, which here he's talking about nature, waits for the revealing of the sons of God. And so creation itself is waiting for uh, to be restored, as it will be when God brings the new heavens and a new earth at the end of time. And creation then will be recreated, and it will be in the original, uh, original uh, form that God intended it to be in, pure and without blemish. And there won't be any things like polluted lakes and rivers and streams. And there won't be forests that are, are uh, being overcome by uh, drought and disease. And, and there won't be animals that are suffering and killing and, and being killed because creation will be restored into its perfect sense. And creation itself has a sense of anticipation for that day. And uh, he says that creation was subjected to futility and in hope. And so uh, creation is subjected to the same thing that the people of God are subjected to. Uh, when we fell into sin, we brought creation right along with us. And so the things that you see in terms of, of creation suffering these days have to do with the sinfulness of man and people who have messed up the environment and polluted lakes and rivers and streams and, uh, and put uh, uh, chemicals into the atmosphere. And, and so a lot of those things are done out of greed. And, and so creation itself is subjected to the very thing that we are, but it also looks ahead to hope. And um, let me make sure that I got all the scripture that I needed to get on that one. I'm going to start in verse 20, 20, 20. For creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. So not only will the people of God be set free from sin when, uh, through faith in Jesus and will one day be put into uh, the relationship with God that we were intended to be in in the beginning without sin, living with Him eternally in the new earth, uh, but creation itself will be set free and restored, and it will obtain liberty from its bondage to decay and death. Creation itself will be restored. That's good news for creation, and it's also good for us. And 
You know, there are many wonderful movements going on out there to save the earth and to, uh, to combat global warming and all of those sorts of things. Uh, and those, but it's important also to know that we want to be good stewards of God's creation, but God ultimately is the one who will overcome the decay that this creation finds itself in this day as a result of the sinfulness of man. And so that's the hope that there is for creation. Let's get a little bit more. We'll read from verse 22 through 25, and we'll see. We just saw God's plan for creation in suffering, but let's see what God's plan is for us. 22 through 25. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in travail together until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is, is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what, he, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so here he's talking about us now and our hope in suffering. And he says, we groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption as sons until we wait until we're with him together in heaven. Uh, we groan inwardly. We have this sense in our, in our bodies and in our spirits that things aren't like they should be. We groan for that day. We look forward uh, in anticipation to be restored and to be with Him in heaven one day. And uh, I was just talking a little bit earlier about how my body, as I get older, I find myself groaning more and more as I face the aches and pains of this life and, uh, and, and my wrist gets sore and, and my feet get sore when I stand up too long. And so my body is groaning and one of these days, my body will be set free and I'll get a new body uh, to live with the Lord forever in the new creation. And so I look forward and hope to that day as I think about what's coming for me uh, when I die, I don't have to live in fear that, uh, that that's all there is for me, that this life is all there is. I have something to look forward to because of Jesus. And we wait for the redemption of our bodies, a new body with no sickness, a new body that doesn't fall apart, a new body that's not subject to disease. Uh, we wait for that. We wait for the new, our new bodies that come when Jesus comes again. And he talks about hope here. He says that hope that is seen is not hope. Well, we don't see all of this unfolding before our eyes right now. And while we suffer, we don't, we don't have a clear picture of what that new body is going to be like. We don't have a clear picture yet of exactly what heaven's going to be like. So we don't see it. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so we wait, uh, and God gives us the faith to wait. And he also gives us the hope, knowing that even though we don't see all of these future promises perfectly today, we know through faith, I know through faith in my heart that they are real. I know that he's coming. I know through faith that he's going to give me a new body. And that hope gives me strength and, encourage, and encourages me to endure in this life even when times get hard.
even when I'm in the midst of suffering. And so, uh, I've said before, he doesn't leave us alone in our suffering. So let's see now, as we move on in Romans verses 26 and 27, we're going to see what he means when he tells us that we're not alone in our suffering because he has a partner for you and for me in our suffering. And so Romans 26 and 27. Likewise, <clears throat> the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what, the mind of the, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so he tells us that when you are in the midst of suffering of any kind, you've got an advocate who works for you. And that advocate is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, in the midst of our suffering, when we don't know how to pray, uh, he intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. So I don't know if you've ever been this way before, but I have in going through an ordeal in my life where, you know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed to where I just didn't feel that I could pray anymore. And uh, what I learned through the scripture is that when I run out of prayers and I don't know where to go, the Holy Spirit intercedes for me according to the will of God. And what that means is that the Spirit of God, it's like comes along and, and lifts me up and prays for me. He's carrying me in my prayer life when I don't know how to pray, when things get too hard. Uh, and sometimes when I know that you've experienced this, when life is hard and you're down, all, it's like all you can do is just sigh or moan. <sighs> and when you're at that point where all you can do is sigh, the Spirit comes along and picks up your sigh and turns it into prayer to the Father. He prays for us with His own sighs, which are too deep for words. And He says that the Spirit searches our hearts and intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so here you have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity of God, God himself is praying for you according to the will of God. Now, when you pray according to the will of God, uh, those are prayers that are answered. And the Spirit knows the mind of God. I don't always know the mind of God when I pray. And so sometimes when I pray, I'm praying for my will to be done. The Spirit prays always according to the will of the Father on your behalf. And so... The Spirit is praying the perfect prayers for you. And, uh, and so I pray that you will pray that to be open to the will of God in your life today. Open that, that the, the Spirit who is praying according to the will of God will give you the power to carry out the will of God in your life, especially in the midst of your suffering. Isn't it good to know that when you can't pray, you've got a prayer partner? Who, who encourages your prayer life and prays for you according to the will of God. Let's get a little bit more now. We're going to read Romans 8, verses 28 and 30. We know that in everything God works, good for, the, works for good with those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of, of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. And so he says again here, uh, he starts out by saying, we know that God works for good with those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so what this means is that whatever you're going through in your life today, uh, whatever you're going through, it could be a business problem. It could be you're out of work. Maybe you're going through a hard time in your marriage or having trouble with one of your kids. As a believer, not only is Jesus with you in the middle of that, uh, remember he's talking to believers now, not only is he with you in the middle of it, he's praying for you, but he gives you a promise also. And the promise is very simply that God works for the good of those who love him. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. For Christians, God will take everything in your life and bring good out of it in some way. Even the hard things that you're going through, uh, whatever that hard thing is today, it can give you hope to know that this hard thing, even though it's hard, God is at work and God is going to take this and turn it around and somehow bring good out of it. And that very promise can give you hope to keep on enduring in the midst of whatever this hard thing is. Uh, now that doesn't mean that whatever you're going through today, that God is saying that it's good. He's not, because suffering is hard. And Jesus, when he was in the midst of suffering, you remember he prayed to the Father, Lord, if it's, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And when he was on the cross, Jesus didn't call the cross a good thing. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken it, forsaken me? But out of that bad thing that happened to Jesus that day, God brought good for you and me. And out of the thing that you're going through today, God, in his promise to you, is at work and will bring good out of it. So don't give up the faith. Don't give up hope because God is with you in the midst of that struggle. And he promises to bring good out of it. Let's get a little bit more here. And I stopped a little too soon. Uh, we're in Romans 8, 28 through 30. And I want to read, I'll start in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, con to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so uh, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And he says, uh, those who are called, God foreknew. So uh, God foreknew. He knew you before you were even his uh, child by faith in Jesus. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He knew you. And he had a plan for you. And that plan is he foreknew you. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those who predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. If you'll look at this list, it's all about God's action, isn't it? These are the things that God does. God has a plan for your life. 
some people get really confused about this issue where uh, uh, predestination is what they call it. And uh, all this simply means is that it is God's will for you and for all people to come in to, a, to the knowledge of His Son through faith in Jesus Christ. God wants that for all creation. God wants it for me. God wants it for you. God wants it for people that you know that aren't believers. That's what God desires for you, is for you to know Him by faith. Um, it's God's desire. Now, God gives us a free will. You can fight against the desires of God in your life so that God's will isn't done in your life. God's will doesn't always get done in our lives, does it? Uh, anytime that I sin, I can't blame God for that. That's me exercising my free will to do what I want and not come under the authority of God. But God's will for your life is that you know Him, that you submit to His Lordship in your life so that, so that He can lead you, that He can guide you. And, so, and until you come into that relationship with Him, you'll never really have peace in your life. Uh, you may look in a lot of different places to try and fulfill and fill up that void that you feel in your life. But until you come into His will for your life, which is to know Him and have your sins forgiven through faith in Jesus, you'll never really have that peace. That's all He means by predestination. God wants to know you. That's His will. And, uh, and those that He knows and those that He calls, He justifies. And that means He makes you right through faith in Jesus. He forgives your sin and makes you one of His children and will glorify, uh, give you a glorified body in the resurrection to live with Him forever. And in this life, though, like I said, uh, you will never find true peace until your will comes into conformity with His will, which can only happen by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. And so let's get a little bit more, and, uh, and we'll look at the conclusion here in, uh, to all of these questions and points that he's raising then. In verse 31, what then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so that's the question, isn't it? And the answer to it is no one. No one can be against us. Uh, it's a rhetorical question. Remember, this is God's message to you in the midst of your suffering. If, if your employer's against you, if your body is against you because of disease, if your spouse is against you, remember, God is for you, and He'll be with you. Turn to Him and find your hope in Him. Um, you know, God loves you so much and uh, is calling you into that relationship with Him. Let's get a little bit more, and uh, we'll read verses 32 through 34. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? And so, uh, and so if God is for us, who is, who is to condemn us? 
is it Jesus? No, absolutely not is the answer to that question. Jesus isn't going to condemn us. Jesus died to forgive us. And so, uh, uh, so don't live in fear of condemnation to him. Know that Jesus loves you and he's with you. If he died on that cross for you, he's going to be with you in the middle of your suffering. And so uh, let's keep going. And we'll read from verse 35 now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so then he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will suffering separate you? Absolutely not. And then he lists a list of things. Really, the question is, what can separate you from the love of Christ? He says, shall tribulation? No. Uh, those are the trials that you experience in this life. Shall persecution? We've talked about that already. Persecution can't separate you from the love of Christ because Jesus is with you. He knows persecution. And he's with you when you experience. Shall famine? That's like... Uh, Famine and nakedness is a way of describing pro uh, poverty. Can poverty uh, separate you from the love of Christ? No. Jesus is with you, and he promises to provide for you. What about peril or sword? Uh, this is violence. You know, there's all kinds of violence going on in society. We see shootings in schools and in malls, shopping malls. There are wars going on out in the world. No matter what kind of violence may come against you in this life, if you're a victim of violence, you need to know that violence does not separate you from the love of God. God's love is with you in that violence and will see you through. And then he goes on and says, we are like sheep be being led to be slaughtered. Trials just happen over and over in this life. And he says, we are more than conquerors because of Christ who loves us. And so let's get the last verse or two. And uh, we're going to read Romans 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so here he's wrapping it up and he gives us another list. And he says, I am sure. And by that he means I am positive. Without a doubt, you can take it to the bank, he's saying, that nothing, death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. If you've experienced the death of a loved one in your life, you need to know the love of Christ is with you in the middle of that. Uh, nothing, none of the trials of this life can separate you, nor angels, nor principalities, that's world rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. The things that are going on in your life right now, the things that are present, cannot separate you from the love of Christ, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And then in case you're wondering that there might be a loophole somewhere, he closes that loophole, doesn't he? He says, nothing else in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ, that is the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. God is going to keep on loving you no matter what is going on in your life today. No matter what trial, no matter what pain, turn to Him and tell Him that you're ready to be filled up with His love. And He'll fill you up and support you no matter how deep 
your pit is today. You need to know Jesus is with you in the middle of it. And I, I love this, this wonderful promise that I heard, read about Corey Ten Boom, who was a wonderful Christian woman who was in a Nazi concentration camp and survived to go on and be a powerful witness for Jesus. Corey said, no pit is so deep that he is not deeper still. So no matter how deep the pit is in your life today, you need to know that Jesus Christ is deeper than that. And call out to him. Uh, turn to him in prayer. Read the scripture and seek out other believers to come alongside you and be with you in the midst of your suffering.